Welcome to Monkey Talk, brought to you by The Four Monkeys Wrestling We're here. We're live. We already got six people hanging out. The captain's here. I think it's time for monkey talk, Captain. It is. It is Wednesday night live, people. And we have, yet again, another great guest. Somebody that we have been wanting to talk to. Somebody that I have been wanting to talk to because I have very specific questions Uh about a bazooka. But we will Uh get to that. We will Uh get to that because tonight... We have an agent of Black Diamond Industries. He is the bazooka wielding, the most guaranteed guarantee in the mercenary business. We have with us tonight, not to be confused with the guy who came up with the telephone, Graham Bell. Thank you, sir, for joining us. I'm glad to be here, guys. Thanks for having me. No problem. How how often are you uh, confused with the guy who invented the telephone? I don't think I'm confused with him so much as he's long dead, but it is the the first bad joke everyone wants to say to me. And 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 I hit it on the head. There I went with the first bad joke <laughs> right out the gate. <laughs> leave, leave it up to the captain and Christopher. Uh, that's how we go. So, Graham, we appreciate you coming on. Uh, obviously, uh, we've been watching for a while, and I am going to start the this stream out a little bit different than I normally would. I had said it on Twitter and, oh, and here comes the raid. Eight viewers coming in from Val Pancakes. I knew that was coming. Val, thank you for the raid. Everybody, get your heads down. (laughs) Raids mean something different at Black Diamond, so. (laughs) (laughs) Y'all made me act on instincts there. (laughs) Hey, we got Jeff Cannonball in the chat. We got BMD Bud in the chat. Hey, How's it going? Soda man. Yeah, we got. Oh, so- yes. Hey, we got, we got soda, soda and, and beer. We got soda and beer. It's a party. It's a party Val's now. Got I don't. I don't drink, so Jeff Cannonball is my go-to for knowing what sodas I need to get. There we go. So we might have to get into that, Jeff. If you have any questions for Graham, we could lay them in there as we're talking through. I was starting with a story, but of course. Here, here comes the raid. I'll, I'll pay attention, but here's my story. So I mentioned it on Twitter, Graham. So we've been doing this for about a year now with the interviews. We were ve- very much main card guys. We were never watching a lot of indie wrestling. We did a couple of interviews. I actually didn't do the interview with Matt Griffin. It was, uh, it was the boss, Steven, and Captain Chuckles who did it. And they talked through it. And I really wasn't sold on indie res- wrestling at that point. But I got to see a match over uh, over on Action Wrestling. And it was the one called Manders and Graham Bell. And I'm telling you. I was going to guess. I'm telling you, man. Like, that was the one. That was the one that hooked me and said, you know what? Yeah, I've been missing something with indie wrestling and this right here, I need more of this. So I commend you for that match and many other matches, but 
this is the part where I just kind of put you over a little bit, and, and then we'll get into the part where we bury you later. Well, that's a huge compliment, and thank you. Everyone it eventually gets to the part where they bury me, but <laughs> now that man, that's a good one to watch. I'm, I'm really proud of that one. For me and Manders have actually, we've crossed paths quite a bit. He brings out the best in, in me, and I think even with some of the stages he's been on, I like to think I bring out the best in Manders a lot of times, too, so... I'm I'm super proud of that match. That's one I sent out to promoters. That's one that uh I sent to B Boy for match critiques when he was doing that, and he had good 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 critiques to build on, good things to say about it, and it's it's one of my favorites for sure. Very cool, and I mean that one was back in October now, so I hope we run it back sometime soon. It's been long enough that you guys need to cross paths again. I think so. Him and him and Logan Creed are the only people that have pinned me in action since uh like quarantine and i've been back other than that no one's really been able to slow me down there well we're gonna have to talk about that logan creed match eventually too but oh, yeah. again we're getting into so much <laughs> early in the conversation here the raids throw me off uh electrifying oh electrifying electrifying gone is that how it goes electrifying one yeah see i can't read names read. in the chat this you is terrible. can't read bro electrifying one eight i apologize thanks for the hype anyway let's get into it Let's start at the beginning. Let's start at a tiny little mercenary. Let's start at a tiny little merc. What did young Graham Bell look like? What was he like? Man, a much more adorable version of me. Um, much oh, shorter on, hair. You're, you're adorable. I, I know, but it's also just more of a raw sexuality these days. It's a, like a 10 now, and it was like an 8 then. Um, All right. I had... Actually, I had less Power Rangers shirts then, but it was Power Rangers and pro wrestling for me. That's, as far as Little Merc goes, that's that's what it was. Okay, so there's a lot of different Power Rangers versions, so I need I need elaboration of what era of the Power Rangers was the, the Merc's favorite. Well, the original, okay. MMPR, and more specifically, the original five with... Uh, Jason, Trini, and Zach. I'm not big on Rocky. Aisha's okay. And I, fu I fucks with I fucks with uh with Adam. So who's the who's the one? Who's the Power Ranger the, for for you? Like what which Tommy? Are you, you going with Tommy, Tommy. every time? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I used to be more of a White Ranger, Tommy. I've grown I've grown more back into Dragon Zord, Green Ranger, but they're all good. Even Turbo Tommy was good. That's as bad as Turbo was. This, this part of the chat is right over my head. Don't sweat it. I, I was never a Power Ranger person. It, there's always time. It's still out there. I'm good. It's just not nearly as good. Actually, man, the movie that came out a few years ago was pretty solid. I don't give a fuck what people say. That was a good-ass movie. So let's get to the other part. So wrestling. So you, you're into wrestling. What do you remember from being a kid? What got you into wrestling? My big brother got me into wrestling, actually. Um, he was into it when he was younger. He's nine years older than me, so there's a big age gap. I remember him having a Hogan and Warrior wrestling buddy, and then he didn't really watch it that I remember until it was Christmas of 97, I remember, because my mom got us a PlayStation 1, and we got WWF in your house. And I love that just because I could play it with my brother, and it introduced me to guys like Undertaker and Ahmed Johnson, Stone Cold, Doink, 
and we just played that all the time. And I remember my brother then asked me one day, hey, do you want to watch this on TV? And I was like, hell yeah. And we turned it on and Vader's head was in a, a plastic trash bin. And that was the first image I had of wrestling on TV. And it's weird. My memory from them is from then is so spotty because time is weird when you're that young anyway. Like things that I think lasted for like three years or like a three month program. But like, I vaguely remember like midget Bret Hart coming out when DX was making fun of him. But I certainly did not ever see Shawn Michaels wrestle on television until he came back. And I, as I've gotten older, I realized I think that's because I had to go to bed at nine before the second hour of Raw. So I was only catching little like bits and pieces. You were catching the PG hour, not the not the PG thirteen into the. Uh, pretty, and- pretty much, because I remember I remember Stone Cold not being champion, and then I remember him being champion. But like I said, I don't I never saw Shawn Michaels on television <laughs> until his second <laughs> run. So there there were su- definitely gaps there, but that was a uh, that's what got me into it. And then it just it stuck from there. Did one of those guys stand out as as one you gravitated towards, or one of your favorites? I know everybody's got a couple of their favorite wrestlers or ones that stood out to them. But which one of those guys was it? Midget Bret Hart, or was it? One of the other? No, he's top ten, obviously. <laughs> and I'd obviously. probably rather hang out with him than regular Bret Hart. But Ooh. Um, man, shots fired. Um. I'll keep my response to that in my head. <laughs> but um, Stone Cold was my first favorite. Like, I mean, that's easy being a five-year-old, five, six-year-old in 97, 98. So I remember the first time I, I thought of wrestling as something I could do as a job was uh, Stone Cold randomly, like, wrestling D'Lo Brown in some television match. And we, like, had to do something at school, like, decide what we wanted to be when we grow up. And I had no idea. And then it was just... I remember I've got the image in my head of Stone Cold, Stunner, crowd on their feet. And I was just like, hey, I can do this. This is the thing I like the most. I'll do this. And I decided then and there I was going to be a professional wrestler. So Stone Cold was my first favorite, but Goldberg's my all-time. From Really? 100%. To, to this day. Interesting. Interesting. Because... In my mind, like, he was my favorite easily as a kid because he was undefeated, and so he's the best. And so I'm a Goldberg guy, and I stuck with him even after the, the cattle prod bullshit. Goldberg was still my guy. I knew no one could beat him fair. That's interesting because he's such a – what's the word? He's such a um, controversial wrestler in his later years right now where it's like you're basically on either side of the fence where a lot of people are on the negative side of the fence as his as his returns continued but you said to this day you're still he stands up as your favorite i get that and it I'll, i'll say i'll straight up say it's weird that i'm a goldberg guy still because i'm 100 percent. you can tell from my lack of content i'm a i'm a work rate in ring guy that's where that's the part of wrestling I love the most. That's what I want to do. That's where I want to focus and be the best. And I like wrestling is the only thing that like I love and care about as far as like things I want to do. And he's the opposite. He loves football. He fell into wrestling and happened to be a huge draw. 
and he's not a work rate guy. Never has been. <laughs> but I mean that that's also an important lesson for work rate guys like me to know is that like look at these people that even we gravitated towards, you know, the Hogan's and Cena's and Goldberg's that inspired, you know, pretty much everyone to get into wrestling aren't work rate guys, but they're still the idols that work rate guys have. Mm-hmm. At least from that young age, that um, influential age. Mm-hmm. But And I think everybody growing up at that, at that younger age, you, you can, you just can't say that you never cheered for, Goldberg or Cena or Hogan you just can't do that because at at one point in time you oh you had to cheer for them at least once hundred percent and I'll give Goldberg credit he'll he's he he'll very openly say I'm not a I'm not a good worker this isn't my passion I do what I'm told and you know he's I mean he's got about like he's got I think respect for the business i think he respects people in it but he's also like this isn't my dream and my passion you know people ask me to come back and stuff so but goldberg he'll always be if not the man then the character 100 mm-hmm. percent, always going to be my all time is that why the abundance of spears in your moveset man that's actually a very recent thing that was matt griffin's idea oh okay because I wrestled Fearless Musa on the second half of that show where I wrestled Manders, which ironically, my best action match right before my worst action match. <laughs> um, and Matt wanted something pretty simple to put me over strong, and he wanted this some kind of spectacular moment. He was like, I'm thinking like Spear out of midair or something like that. And I'm like, shit, I can do that. Speared Musa, it looked really good. And then the next one, I guess the next time I was back was that fatal four-way where I was just like, okay, well, we gotta top that. And Braden Lee's here. Poor Braden. So hey, Braden, <laughs> I'm gonna spear you out of the shooting star. Hope you're cool with it. <laughs> yeah, sign me up. <laughs> and then Matt's all Matt has been crazy about every variation of the spear i try not to do it the same way twice um logan's actually the first dude i've just ran at and speared at action twice it was a it was a great way to start the match i thought so too oh, yeah started hot big sage thanks for the bits buddy so let's get back into the wrestling ring and, and chuck i think i think i know where you're going with this because we talked about you saw Stone Cold, you love Goldberg, and you said, that's what I want to do. Well, I know what Chuck wants to know. That, How do you get started? What, exactly. That's what everybody wants to know. Where where did you, when, first of all, when did you decide you wanted to get into a wrestling ring? At what age? And then, you know, how? what was the decision-making process of where you wanted to train and everything? I decided I wanted to get in as soon as I just saw that crowd stand up for stone cold like i said as soon as i decided it's what i wanted to do that's that hasn't changed in almost 25 years now like there may have been other stuff i wanted to do as well but it's always taken a backseat to wrestling and it it's funny because where i trained should have been a fairly straightforward process because harley race's school was about an hour and a half from me 
I live in Southwest Missouri. He was located in the middle of Missouri at the time. Um, I had trouble getting a job in high school because uh, having no worldly experience, I uh, would always write on my avail availability. I would write down that I wasn't available when Raw and ECW and SmackDown were on. And Love it. for some and then I couldn't work during school hours, so <laughs> that 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 hurt my chances of getting hired a lot. Um, and then, man, when I moved, I moved from the town I grew up in, Seymour, which is like kind of 1800. I moved up with my dad in Springfield when I graduated. It's out of 160,000, essentially. Um, so not a gigantic city, but, but a big town. And uh, it, it was just hard for me to get work having, I think, no work experience in high school. And it was 2011. So like 2010, 2011 economy was kind of starting to decrease back and stuff so and harley school was three thousand dollars and i planned to go right out of high school but i was like oh i didn't get a job i don't have the fucking money and the little part-time and temp jobs i was able to get i wasn't able to save a lot with just living expenses and stuff which weren't nearly as much as they could have been thanks to my dad letting me live here and not charging me rent and paying for my cell phone and stuff at the time my dad taking care of me is a, a very large through line in my career and a lot of the stuff I've been able to do. But it was about a year after I graduated and I'd just been let go from like a seasonal position that I had at a store. I was just like, I can't wait any fucking longer to start doing this. I'm just dying sitting here on the couch every day. Didn't even have like money for a gym membership really. So I was just wasting away essentially. And so I start looking for schools and stuff, and all the ones I find are too far away or they're too expensive. And I was like, I'll look for a good month. And I just like, man, I guess I'm going to have to just wait another year or so. And then I found on MissouriWrestlingRevival.com, I saw an advertisement for Rings and, Rings and Cages Wrestling School, which was just the guy who trained me, uh, Chad. Chad. Um, he had a business just building wrestling rings and MMA cages and he's very good at it. And he actually built the foam pit ring for WrestleMania one year that they yeah. used for fan access. But the story he gave me was that he just had some guys up there working for him that wanted to train. And so instead of just training them in a ring, he just kind of opened a school. So that's where me and my tag partner trained. And I trained about three weeks before I had my first match, which was way before I should have had my first match. Wow. That's and cool. Yeah, I love I love Chad to death and the things he did teach teach us. He taught he taught us fairly sound, but he did not teach us a lot. Bumps and basic holds and hitting the ropes. And that's pretty much it. And I was there basically from the beginning of June till the middle of September and then he got so busy with his business that he had to shut down. And so after not even four months of training, I was just out there and started to hit the road as best I could with, with Luke. And so very much all my learning has been on the job training. Four months of training. Yeah. And hit if, the road. That. And sometimes, I mean, the best way to learn is by doing, you know, if as long as you have a little bit of the basics down, you know. Now, has there been 
somebody in the your, the progression of your career, you've been around in, in the business for a little while. Can you name, you know, some people that have helped you along the way, whether it be, you know, positive feedback, helping you, you know, uh, reviewing tapes of yours, you know, anything like that? There have been several people at various points. Um, the first one that really comes to mind, well, obviously the most important person from, from my career and my life is my tag partner, Luke Langley, who I trained with. And I think, cause I was very shy as a younger dude. And it even took me a, after me and Luke stopped tagging regularly for me to really come out of my shell, but I wasn't outgoing or very good in social situations at all. It was a, maybe bordered on social anxiety to an extent. And I think if I hadn't had him there for a lot of these early, like showing up to promotions and stuff with people I didn't know, I'm not sure how much more I would have networked if I didn't kind of just have, it's like having like a friend at a party where you don't know anyone else. Mm -hmm. But in 2013, me and him, we were working Oklahoma extremely regularly as we would do for several years after that. And we had met a guy uh, named Jermaine Johnson, who he still works in Oklahoma Sun. He lives in Wichita right now. But uh, Jermaine's one of the better workers at his peak that I've ever come across. Um, and he worked for a company in Oklahoma called IZW. They ran a weekly show in Lawton at the time. And we were, me and Luke planned on doing the, the Harley race camp that they did every year in 2013. And Jermaine decided he was going to do it because he had already had legitimate looks from WWE and they were somewhat interested. So he was trying to stack his resume some. And we spent five days in a motel in Eldon, Missouri with Jermaine. And I, we learned more from him, especially about being a tag team than we learned all week from that Harley race camp. Just little things about Being on TV, because IZW was a TV product, it was a weekly show, and just the basic stuff that we should learn in training, have a pose, have a catchphrase you can take promos home with, um, real simple shit like that. He's the first person that taught me about matches having rhythm, which is one of the number one things I think about when I put a match together now. If someone pitches something to me, I can play it out in my head and I can feel the beats. And if it's a little off, I'm pretty good at correcting it to where this feels a little more smooth, a little more natural. So Jermaine and then the guy who owned the company, Johnny Z, who uh, was not a super popular guy in the state, but one of the most uh, consummate heels I've ever come across in wrestling. He was very much... Like, he didn't become a fan until the Attitude Era when he was in his mid-20s, I think. And he started watching when he was in prison and got out and decided he was going to start a wrestling company. And so he was very much that, I guess at the time you call it outdated TV style, where he didn't like to call a lot. He liked to work holds, and he liked to get heat. And he was very good at all of it. He was a good brawler via Stone Cold. Stone Cold was his guy. Um, and when he worked to hold, he worked to hold. He didn't sit there and catch his breath. He'd jaw jack with the crowd. He'd wrench it. He was always active. And there are little things that John's attitude caused a lot of people to dismiss about his quality of work. That's really kind of a shame. 
because John was a hell of a worker and really taught me and Luke how to work and kind of prioritize things more than we had been. Really kind of took us from guys who were really just guys who could bump into guys who could work and we could get heat and knew how to get sympathy as baby faces. Yeah. So those were the first two guys that were like, I really felt kind of looked at as mentors. And then Luke had to take a break for a while for some like outside of wrestling stuff that came up and I was on my own and I had met the hooligans. I want to say like the year before I gave them a ride up to AAW in Chicago and I knew that guys were always hopping in the car with them. And when Luke wasn't on the road anymore and I needed to stay busy as a singles guy, which was weird because everyone I worked for knew me as a tag guy. Everywhere we'd been, we were a tag team. And now I'm a singles guy. It was kind of a reset after like four or five years. But I hopped in the car with the hooligans and they were the ones that kind of just took me to that next level of working. And they were the first people to really kind of teach me about the business a little bit behind the scenes about, hey, you got to talk to promoters like this. If you're not getting this here, then maybe you have to go somewhere else. And even outside the ring, I credit them with me being able to come out of my shell more outside of wrestling, which translated to it inside. I'm a pretty boisterous personality on shows. I can be a lot more reserved backstage depending on who's back there and how much fun we're having. But they were these were the kind of guys that would just we'd go into truck stops and they'd just be yelling nonsense at the top of their lungs <laughs> just just to pop each other just to like get weird looks from the gas station attendants. We'd walk into a loves on a three day loop up around, you know, like Ohio or something. And Devin would yell at me, Grandma, I'm going to the bathroom. Meet me in there. Have your pants down already. <laughs> I was like, you got it, daddy. I'm, I'm there. <laughs> you get that hot water running for me. Just dumb shit like that. That was a lot of fun. And then a lot of things I wouldn't, I can never ever repeat again. But those, those were the guys that helped me just be a lot less self conscious. Cause even on shows, and to an extent to this day, depending on where I'm at, like I can get pretty self conscious early on. Like I was always worried, are they going to, be into me are they going to dig what i do what if something goes wrong what if it falls flat and those guys just essentially taught me is like it doesn't fucking matter <laughs> they just go out there and do your thing what 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 could what's the worst case scenario you know so johnny z jermaine johnson and the hooligans are i'd say the four guys i really credit as like mentors and then honorary mention i'll throw warhorse on there because I was in the car a lot with Parnell as he was, uh, as he split from the Viking War Party and started to get over and became Warhorse. And whether or not I've applied it, which I'm sure frustrates him to no end, I, I do take to heart a lot of the advice he's given me on content and stuff. And what little content I have produced, I probably wouldn't have been as good if it weren't for his guidance. So shout out to Warhorse on that front for me. Nice.
Now you mentioned tag teams and singles. Do you have a preference now that you've kind of done both for a good amount of time? Man, I'm almost always going to lean towards tag team wrestling as a tag team. I'm not nearly as big on it when it's me as a singles wrestler with another singles wrestler. Just thrown together and just thrown together. Even in a storyline context, you know, it can be good, but tag team matches, having that many bodies and when it's another with another tag team, it just it allows for a lot more creativity. You have a lot more options to go from point A to point B or point A and go right around B and to C. That many moving parts has always excited me. And um, the, I mean, there's pros and cons to both, obviously. I like, again, as a more in-ring guy, I really enjoy the mechanics and the creativity that tag team matches allow. We love tag team wrestling. It's 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 a it's truly an art form. It really is. To oh, for to, sure. To to be able to 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 put the whole match together with your partner and two other people. It's it's like it's it's a a lovely dance that happens in the ring when it's done. Hundred percent. Don't laugh, Christopher. You you love how I, I tie all these things together. I was just like waiting for what terminology you were going to use. It makes me laugh. I don't know. A lovely dance. <laughs> a lovely, lovely dance. dance. Lovely dance. So, so we got a quick we got, got a quick question in the chat that that's popped up a couple times. Who's your favorite promoter? I'm a big Sam Muchnick guy. Ah, uh-huh, yeah, Sam. Uh, Sam's a good guy. Yeah. That that is weird because I don't know if they're asking as far as like promoter to work for. Um, no, it's it's, it's it's literally just Matt in the chat asking who's your favorite promoter. Oh, it's Matt asking? Yeah, yeah. Dylan yeah. is my favorite promoter. <laughs> oh, yeah, there it is. There it is. Yeah, that makes sense. Oh, I love it. There you go, Matt. There you go, Matt. There's your answer. <laughs> so you, you mentioned the bodies before, and I have to say, looking at your resume in action, I mean, you, you've, you've pretty much been in the ring with almost everybody that action has, it seems like. You've been in two four ways, uh, a couple of singles matches, and I we talked about it before we went live, but we got to talk about the last singles match that was on Royal versus Cells two that you can catch now, right now, but not no no not right now after we're done on IWTV five day free. This trial. would be a great time for you guys to have the clip of that choke slam queued up, right? <sighs> Oh, that sounds like know. an extra little bit of yeah, promotion. That, that, uh, Production. That, yeah. Where is that? Ah, I don't know. They don't got it. They don't got. They don't have it. Ah, shit. We see. We need somebody else back, back there to do that stuff. But anyway, we're talking about the match you had with the Goliath, the heathen, Logan Creed. I mean, what was it like being in the ring with? A dude that size, first of all. Believe it or not, I've been matches with guys around that size, not uncommonly in my career. Um, I'm very well versed in giant slaying. Um, I know how 
very well said. I know how big guys work. I know how I think big guys should work. I remember at one point I asked my best friend and tag partner, Luke, we were just having one of those conversations in the car and I asked him like, who do you think the best big man in wrestling is right now? And with the caveat of like big guys that work like big guys. And one of the greatest compliments I've ever gotten, Luke, Luke told me, I think you're one of the better big man wrestlers in wrestling, Graham, because anytime I would wrestle someone smaller than me, I would make sure to take that size difference into account. And I like to do that in matches like that, that I had with Logan. And even though it didn't necessarily seem like it, I did it there too. Just building off the past of the way his size had been protected. You know, he wrestled Orion, who's a guy who should be able to slam him. Alex Kane, who is a guy who should be able to suplex him a couple times. I forget who his other match at action has been with. Um, but a guy looking like me versus him, I don't think people were expecting Spears and F5s and for me to go shot for shot with him. Love the so. F5s. That was, uh, that was phenomenal. That, uh, that, that's that's my, my personal finisher uh, that oh, I yeah. always use. I started using that almost as a like a second degree rib to my favorite promoter, Dylan Hales, um, because Dylan hates Brock, <laughs> and Gary wrestled O'Shea at a sup show, and made O'Shea use the F five on him, <laughs> and then I debuted in a singles match at sup, like the show after O'Shea moved up to Maryland. And I used it as an ode to O'Shea. And then it's just kind of stuck because I think like not long after that show itself, I wrestled another guy, uh, Herzog, who is a, just a little bit shorter than uh, Logan. And I was like, we need his like, what's, what's a big thing you can hit on me as like a falsy? And I was like, I'll do the F5 because I do the F5 now. <laughs> and then... It was, originally, it's just a thing. It's like, I can hit this on big guys because I'm quite strong. And then I was like, oh, it looks extra cool when I hit it on much smaller guys and send them across the ring. Yes. So now you mentioned the look. And we mentioned bazookas earlier. And I know I, I, I tweeted you back and forth about this. When is the Graham Bell replica bazooka for purchase? coming out because if if it's not coming out i'm i'm making my own somehow i'm I'll figuring start it out i'll start pre-orders pretty soon then i'll even personalize it for you somehow yes i made last year i guess 2019 the end of 2019 i made a special a special uh christmas cannon for the month of december in all my shows and it was white and it had red garland uh spiraled around it like a candy can it had antlers and I tried to sell it at intermission at the sub show, but no one was buying. So now how you got to get much, the right buyer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, now, how much are these replica bazookas? Might how how much may, might they be? Oh man, if I'm going up, it depends on how much I'm trying to profit here. I'm not a very good businessman. I leave that to the higher ups at Black Diamond. I'm just a grunt work guy. Um, between one fifty and two hundred. Depending on the level of personalization. 
starting starting to that, save that we might have to talk offline yeah, yeah i don't yeah, know yeah, yeah, right <laughs> okay so you've wrestled a bunch of people in action we'll get to what you have coming up in a second but i want to know is there someone in action that you want in the ring one-on-one that's it's it's tough because there's there's lots of different motivations for people i think right now one of the best business decisions would be for me to to get my win back against logan he's the only person since manders who's pinned me he's the only one currently present at action my only other loss is against manders and he hasn't really been around so i guess logan would be at the top of that list business wise there are other guys i could stand to like beating alex kane would be good for my resume someone needs to slow him down and teach him a thing or two um i'd i'd say cells cells would be a good one to take out in tyrone that would that would look good for prospective clients to see um who else is there all the time? Now, a lot of these WWA four kids would be good to just kind of stack bodies. But Logan Creed is at the top of that list. Okay. Logan, I, we know you're watching or listening. And I we know Matt's there, so are, are we going to get a part two? We'll see. But I will say the price is right. I'll fight anyone. There you go. Alan Angels proved that. Yes. So, now, I know, what, it, what was it, just just yesterday or the day before, there was a huge match announcement that I literally almost fell out of my chair when I read it, and it's for the, the Ducks Fly Together show. It's at the end of April, and words can't even express the names uh that are going to be in the ring on this it's yourself versus john davis versus jd drake versus mo atlas the hoodfoot holy shit i mean that that's all you can say because the ring might blow up fall apart you might blow it up there's some heavy hitters in this match I will say, I'll give you a second to be speechless. I have to send a text real quick. I don't know if y'all can <laughs> still hear me. I'm sorry. My woman's texting me, and I no, cannot no. leave that unread. <laughs> no, so no, 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 no. Still hear me for a second. I tell her. Um, Chuck, go like this. Wait, Captain, go like this, so we're in the... Here we go. We're still in the we box. Go. Not going to change anything. Oh, oh no. Now I, now I locked my phone because I'm technologically and quite literally illiterate. There we go. Van yeah, Dangle VHS. Right? Uh, <laughs> um, damn. Man, I was... When uh, I found out they were doing the show, I got a hold of Rob and said, hey, I'd really like to be a part of this. Um, my The first ever time I went viral was a clip of me super kicking Lance out of midair. Um, as Rob tried to launch him, I we turned on them in, a, in an eight-man tag. And uh, it looked sick nasty. So, and I've worked with Rob a lot. We've worked with the Ducks a lot. And I decided Lance needed me. So I want to help any way I can. And I was told 
by Rob one idea for the match, and then that got changed, and then that's what I was kind of going under the uh, the assumption of until I saw the match graphic drop, and I was not expecting what I saw there. So it's 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 going to be rough for one because the day before, about twelve hours away, maybe a little less, I'm wrestling Gary J at Anna Fight Underground. So my chest will be nice and red when I show up already. And then I've got three of the, the heaviest hitters in professional wrestling right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't have to run down J.D. Drake's resume like at all. I mean, he's, I think I saw it tonight. He's wrestling for the TNT title next week, I believe. Oh, really? I, if, I, if what I saw on Twitter is correct. Um, so potential AEW TNT champion J.D. Drake who's, I think, right now has what, I think the consensus is he has the hardest chops in in wrestling right now. He would be my vote. Yeah, he would be my vote. John Davis, who's stronger than he looks, which is saying a lot, um, and has just been a wrecking ball since I first saw him with the Dark City Fight Club, like, 10 years ago. And he's as bad as a motherfucker as ever. And then Mo Atlas who Hoodfoot is my boy and he doesn't have the name value of the other two. And I don't know about his chops or his explosiveness, like from an athletic standpoint, he has more knockout potential than the three of the rest of us. Honestly, as good as my kicks are and as versatile as I am and as big and strong as the other two are Mo's Mo's got the, the knockout elbow and it's it's more likely to land than a lot of our stuff so mo's got there's a lot of different styles coming in there too it it may seem like just kind of a hoss fight and just a big boy match but there's there's a lot of variety in the strategies that you're gonna see like even with us all being strikers primarily i feel like Mm -hmm. the variation in just how we strike is gonna it's gonna determine a lot and I think I'm probably the odds-on least favorite to win that match. But I kind of like that because then people underestimate me and then they end up like Fearless Musa and Braden Lee and Sean Christopher and Kevin Ryan and Bailey Blake and every other dumb motherfucker I've speared out of action wrestling. So basically what you're saying is just just a little a little money aside to put it on me when i get in the ring in that match is what you're saying i get the job done chuck i know what i do i know (laughs) so that that's on april 30th it's at the end of april it's on a friday night uh what else do you have coming up the pike that you can tell us um i will be in tampa next week for highly classified black diamond reasons um but i will be there the week after that, I mean, I was trying to think of this off air. I will actually be next Sunday. I'll be in Cynthiana, Kentucky for Generation Next Pro Wrestling Tapings, which is Larry D's new project. Best hand in the house. You'll know Impact Superstar. Me and Larry, have uh, we've known each other for a couple of years now, and uh, we've crossed paths a lot. And we're big fans of each other's work. We've never gotten to work, and I'm happy to be able to, to go, in, go in for him on this. Week after that, I've got 
highly classified black diamond stuff in an undisclosed location. After that, shit really starts to pick up. I've got Gary J Thursday in Anna, Illinois. I've got that holy shit four-way uh, the next day in North Carolina. And then after I shoot back over to Grove, Oklahoma for a three-way dance with myself, Gideon Vane, and another AEW dark superstar, Fuego Del Sol, who I've also known and who owes me a mask after I've beat him several times at this point. <laughs> See, after that, I have I have been contacted by one James C. Businessman for business operations at Crux Wrestling. After that, I feel like I have a busy... After that is action again. And then Saturday in Republic, Missouri, a show I'm actually booking, the first show I've ever booked, ICWF. Wow, nice. Go find it on Twitter, ICWF Wrestling, I think. And we've only got nine followers. I'm not on that page a lot right now. But it is our debut show. Um, I'm extremely proud of it. I'm extremely excited for it. Then the week after that, I'll say it here, I'll be in Calcasta, Michigan for Mr. Chainsaw Pro Wrestling. As they, I believe this is their first live stream on IWTV, May 22nd. I, I did see that on Twitter. And then what do I got May the 29th? It's something cool. Fuck. Hold on, I'm gonna go look at my, I'm piecing out again. There he goes again. Go look at that calendar. I got all the way to April. That was all just from memory, right? I used I mean, to not put things in my calendar at all when I early on. Oh, God. Oh, man. Joakim's going to he's going to cry because I forgot this. I will be in new, I believe, uh, Ridgefield Park, New Jersey for Battle Club Pro sh first show back. Um, May the franchise reign and Anthony Bowens, the first and only franchise champion, had to vacate the title when he got signed due to being jacked and talented. So now there's going to be a title tournament that I'm going to have to win in Ridgefield Park. And yeah, then that's a lot of shit. It's a lot of shit. I stay busy. <laughs> I probably stay busier than I should, but I got a couple weeks and I get my second second dose of the Black Diamond vaccine. It's not for COVID. It's for something totally classified and unrelated. But I am COVID immune right now, so that I'm good to go on that front too. Excellent. But and then I'm sure the summer will start filling out here pretty pretty quick. I've already, you know, Matt Griffin's got a hold of my employers at HQ, and we've got all the action dates there, and I'm contracted for all those. So you are you are quite the traveler and and, yes. and i, I, I don't want to tap into this a little bit because i remember after one of the action shows recently i remember leaving the action show and seeing you get in your transportation vehicle and getting ready to to the head car, out as we call it in the business yeah i i wasn't sure what kind of <laughs> mark way we we're going to use it but okay fine uh your car and you were going to head out to i believe you were headed all the way to oklahoma was, that night. Is that the 12 that hour been, drive? What was it? Is it 12? It's like, I think 11. I get an hour back. But yeah, it's like 11 in the car, 12 with stops if I don't stop for too long. So, so. map out that Friday for me. Just just so if, if, if anyone doesn't understand what you put yourself through Friday into that Saturday, what, well, what does that schedule look like? 
well, if you want to do that, then we have to start Thursday night. I knew it was going to happen. <laughs> I was like, he's like, wait, I wasn't, I didn't start Friday. I started Thursday. <laughs> so Thursday starts with me getting up at 9 a.m. to take care of official Black Diamond shenanigans for a few hours. Around 2, I will come home and take care of some stuff, cook if I have to, uh, respond to emails and stuff. Little after that, I go to the gym, I'll lift. I try to kill enough time there to wait for jujitsu to start at five. And I'll do jujitsu for an hour before kickboxing starts at six. And I'll do kickboxing for an hour. And then if I have time and if I've eaten enough that day, I'll probably go do some time on the elliptical to also get some time in a tanning bed. And then I'll go home and pack the suitcase I should have packed the night before and make all the meals I should have made the night before. And then I'll get on the road for my 12 hour drive to action. Um, I'll drive until I feel it's not safe for me to drive anymore. And I'll find somewhere to pull over. I'll sleep in the back of my car. I'll wake up. I'll knock out the rest of the drive. I will beat ass at action wrestling hop in the car, drive generally two to three hours before I need to call it quits, wake up and then beast the rest of the way back to Oklahoma or wherever I'm going. It's far from the most insane Damn. travel schedule I've had. No, I, I mean, I, I, I mean, there's, there's some crazy scheduling going on, but that to a normal person is crazy enough in that sense and and one of our main questions is usually what keeps you motivated and i am extremely curious at the drive you have because it is amazing what you put yourself through at a bare minimum to do action shows let alone the other drives and other traveling and other turnaround times or that schedule you just rattled off for the next couple of months which just sounds like you're almost driving yourself into the ground for, for the sport you love, for the, the business you love, for the career you're trying to get to. Uh, how do you keep pushing, like, other than the love of it? This is all I know. I am not fit for anything else period. I've had nine to fives where I've sat in a chair and answered phones. I've worked in warehouses. It all makes me want to fucking jump off a bridge. The only thing that doesn't is wrestling. It's wrestling and it's being at home with my family. I don't need motivation to do it. It's, it's inborn. Like, I don't know, it's the gym and dieting and shoot jobs are hard for me. Being in a car and being in a ring is the easiest thing in the world for me. I'm, I'm not a, a, a wrestling prodigy by any means. In June, this will be my 10 years. There are guys who are further along than me now who haven't been in it nearly as long. There are guys who are way further along at one year than I was at five years and so on, but 
I don't know. I see guys who just aren't built for it. There's a guy, Teddy King, who's one of Kerry Awful's students who should have had everything in wrestling. He was jacked and he could talk as long as it was his one promo and had tons of charisma and did what he was asked and everyone liked him and everyone wanted to book him. And then one day he called it quits. And I don't know, I've seen that happen a couple times and everyone goes, oh, what a shame. What a shame that this guy could have been this or that. And I don't, I don't look at it as a shame because I look at the work that me and guys like me have put in. And man, if he doesn't, if it means that little to him, then I hope he's happy in his life. It's no ill will, but good riddance. There are guys who will appreciate having that spot. But there's no staying motivated. It's, I don't know. It's, yeah. Like I said, That's since I was five, the only thing I wanted to do. There's uh, people, nothing else. Yeah, people search their whole lives to find what they want. And you found it early and you you grabbed on and you haven't let go. So I, I remember talking to my friends in high school and after high school asking what, like, what are they going to school for? And they haven't decided or what they wanted to do after they graduate and they don't know. And since I was in kindergarten, I've known. I've had an answer when people ask me that. And I'm doing it now. If I never get to an AEW or WWE, I'll still be able to be content with what I've done. I've wrestled in Curricane Hall. I've wrestled in Arena Mexico. I've had one single professional wrestling match. Like I said I was going to do when I was five years old. I'm a professional wrestler. I can't. I don't see a time where I'm not a professional wrestler. Like I, this is the only thing I'm built for. It's the only thing I've ever really been good at. And I am very fucking good at it. Maybe not in the way that's the most popular today. And that's not to shit on guys who get over on content or guys who get over on spectacle, no ill will. It's a fan-driven business. Fans want what they want. You can't get mad at the fans for wanting a certain thing or for a certain thing getting over. Maybe the way I'm I'm good is outdated to an extent or just for a different audience even. But I am very fucking good at this. And that, that's what makes me, one of the things that makes me the happiest is being good, getting better. And even if it doesn't seem like, in a way, like I've stolen the show, I mean, sometimes that's not my job and, you know, I could have, you know, pitched that, I don't know, maybe I F5 Logan Creed off the top rope, but I'm not the one that's maybe being pushed towards a title match. So he can choke slam me off the top rope. And that's still my idea. That's still, you know, yeah, make like I needed him for that for sure, but that's i don't know now i'm getting into psychology and stuff but no it's awesome uh, i this is this is the part i love we don't usually get into this stuff but this is the part i love more than anything because the idea of getting over without having to win to me is a lost art in wrestling and i love seeing it anywhere in wrestling main card indies wherever it is a, a person who can work that psychology and look like a success 
in defeat is is something of art. It's it's amazing to me. You know, it's I'm I'm a story, I'm a story based guy. Even before I really understood stories in wrestling, um, like I have a certain I have a role at action that I do very well. You can see how that role is built in that match with Manders, how it continues with Musa in the four-way against Bailey, against Matt in the other four-way. Um, and then if you want to see a totally different side where I do go out and I am the star of the show, I'm the main villain in the anime, go watch my stuff with Rob Killjoy at TWE. Mm -hmm. It's me. It's me in a different role. And then if you want to search up old Impact Zone Wrestling on YouTube, where I'm in a tag team with Luke Langley, that's me in another different role. And again, it's not to take away from guys who are in opening match and they unload the clip and that gets them over. Um, that's great for them, but that's not the kind of wrestling I do. It's not my personal favorite kind of wrestling. I don't have to take pride in me getting over, even if it is getting over and defeat. I, and it's part of where the mercenary gimmick comes from. I take pride in knowing I did my job well. I made this guy look this way. I made my, myself look this strong while protecting this guy. So on and so forth. And being able to tell the right story for the job at hand. I'm the guy for the job. I get the job done every time. You mentioned Japan. You mentioned Mexico. You mentioned main card shows what what's the next goal is there is there one is what's the next step in the ladder for you in your career immediately i'd like an iwtv title shot that'd be a good first step um i know i'm not exactly the draw that they kind of need for that belt but Lee would be an interesting opponent. He's a guy I've wanted to wrestle for a while, and I think people will be surprised when I go hold for hold with him. Long term, it's hard to say. Um, I like a lot of what AEW has done. I'm not. I'm, I don't claim to be uh, an industry insider by any means. WWE does not sound like the most fun place to be for me. Um, like I said, I'm a storyteller and a creatively driven guy. And it's, I, I would like to think that the consensus slash commonly known that the talent there is not creatively free. I feel like there's a lot more creative freedom in AEW. Um, Japan, though, is really... I wouldn't be upset at all if I made a living the rest of my life doing tours of Japan. That's obviously the in-ring style I'm most fond of in a lot of ways, specifically King's Road, but even the traditional strong style and the modern strong style and just the, um, I guess, independent influence of, you know, the Western influence in Japanese wrestling right now even. Um, but being over there, I love all of the culture. I love that they treat it as a sport before entertainment. It's both 
but those priorities are shifted. And if I could, you know, eight weeks there, eight weeks home, do the Indies while I'm here, build a name for myself, I wouldn't be upset at that life at all. And uh, I feel like that's in a lot of ways the most realistic kind of long-term living for me. Body and size isn't as important over there. I'm only 5'9". That's small for a television guy. Like even, you know, Cody Rhodes was a smaller guy in WWE and he's one of the bigger guys in AEW in a lot of ways. Like, you know, they, they call me a beefy boy action and everything, but like the young bucks aren't much smaller than me, you know? And I could, admittedly, I could work on the body some, you know, but like I said, that's, I don't have a great inborn work ethic if I'm being a hundred percent honest. <laughs> what, little, what I do have has been, cultivated through struggle it doesn't come easy to me like like the road and the ring does but i think yeah iwtv title shot sooner rather than later um and i think i can parlay that into a lot just on its own honestly i believe that so iwtv and lee you heard it here let come on what say you yeah set it up because we know millions and millions of viewers are out there setting this up right now. Um, so let's get out of the ring. Uh, man, you're on the road a lot. Got a lot of stuff going on. You mentioned going to the gym. I don't call that a hobby, so I'm not going to take that for an answer. What, what kind of hobby? Hobbies, so. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> what kind of hobbies could we find you doing? What, what do you do to, to, to keep yourself busy if you're not focused on the career when i need to decompress i really just like to watch stuff all kinds of stuff um lately which parlays into the other hobby i picked back up in november i've been rewatching through the old Yu-Gi-Oh shows um i was a big Yu-Gi-Oh kid back in the day from around the time it came out in 2002 all the way up until basically when i graduated high school my main deck I used got stolen and I got busy with wrestling tournaments and shit were always on Saturdays. So that was a game for essentially 10 years. And then eight months into quarantine, I'm bored of my video games and I'm like, man, I want to pick up some cards and shit. So I started collecting again and I found a place near me that does tournaments and it's barely recognizable from the game I played as a kid. Um, new, mechanics for the game new rules and so many cards and man it's tough to keep up with but it's it's been good to do it again it was such a, a source of happiness in my childhood and it was way like especially early when i moved up here that year before i started training it was about the only socializing i got i'm not one to just go out i don't go out to bars i don't like to just go out places and hang I'll hang with my friends, but Yu-Gi-Oh tournaments here at the local card shop were like that was that was my social hour for the week. I love Yu-Gi-Oh. So, I would watch huh? that cartoon. I love Yu-Gi-Oh. I would watch that cartoon like every time I came home or whenever it was on TV, I would watch it. Oh, absolutely. I finished the original show with Yu-Gi and Kaiba and them. Yep. And now I'm on GX, which is where they're at this dual academy. It's 10 years after the original. Kaiba's made a school that's dueling, and 
whole new characters and shit, but it's it's a it's a really good concept. I enjoy it, and it's a little more uh, lighthearted than the original too. Mm-hmm. But and then after I finish that, I'll go, I'll start getting into the the ones I haven't seen before. It's getting into Power Rangers territory of uh of sub series where it's just it's five Ds and Zexel and Arc V <laughs> and I don't even. There's a new one out. I don't even know. So, but that's what I'm watching through right now. See, I watched through all of Dragon Ball Super a few months back. I need to catch up on Supernatural. Um, I was really bummed when the pandemic postponed that series finale because I plan to take a day off from work and sit at home and watch that live. And Supernatural, I need to catch up on all my CW, DC shows. I'm like two seasons behind on Flash and Arrow and all that now, which I was watching pretty religiously for a while. And then if I can find time to sit and sink time into it, I like to play video games, but it's tough for me because I like to sit and play for four to eight hours at a time. And that's, that's tough to do when I'm as busy as I am. So you got to sleep at some point, like yeah. with all these, <laughs> the traveling, this, I didn't you know. used to, but now I do. Oh, so traveling. We heard we heard a little bit of a story earlier, and we we know that there's a lot of stories that you can't tell us. But do you have a, another funny traveling story? Uh, most memorable, some place that you really enjoyed. What 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 can you tell us? I think the absolute best road story I have was from the week that me and Luke and Jermaine spent at Harley's for the camp. Because at the time, Luke drank and could put it away pretty good, and Jermaine can put it away pretty good, and I don't drink at all. So I was the designated driver, and it was the last day of camp, and Jermaine decided that we needed to go to a strip club, which was my first time in a strip club. As I said, I'm not exactly great in a ton of social situations. Especially at the time, I was, I think, 20 years old, maybe 21. I don't know if I turned 21 yet, but so we get on with the last day of training. They pregame a little bit back at the hotel, and then that night we set off and we go up to one of the sadder strip clubs I've ever seen the inside of. This is the middle Lake of the Ozarks, Missouri, in mid-November at like, and it was a Friday night. Actually, it may have been a Thursday night at like 10 p.m. So, God, I hope that wasn't their A squad, but bless their hearts if it was. <laughs> um, so, I Luke is already drunk, and drunk Luke is weird because he's an extremely smart, well-spoken, college-educated guy, and when he's drunk, he doesn't just get drunk stupid like a lot of people do. I feel his IQ drop to fucking Algernon levels of just fucking pet the rabbit George levels of. And he just, Luke's drunk face, and I miss it sometimes. I hope he never goes back to drinking, but I do miss it. It's just this dead-eyed, half-slack-jawed, just blankness. <laughs> And so we're sitting there, and Jermaine, for some reason, is across the stage from us. 
We're sitting on one side, and Jermaine's just on the other side, not even sitting by us. But I'm sitting next to Luke, and also, at this point in time, I don't have a lot of money. I'm fairly frugal, so I'm not trying to spend all my money on these less-than-desirable strippers. Exactly. I barely want it to drizzle, let alone rain. <laughs> Graham's flipping pennies at him. <laughs> so I'm, I'll throw a couple dollar bills up there every now and then. And at one point, Luke nudges me because he's got a pretty decent paying job at the time. And he hands me like a $20 bill. I'm just like, what do I do with this? <laughs> I've never been to a strip club before, but I know this isn't okay because she's not that good. I just have it, and I think eventually, like, I hold on to it for a while, and eventually he's, like, nudging me, and, like, eventually I just have to throw it up there. It's like, ugh, I hope you hate yourself in the morning. Did you, did so you I sit there change? for a little while later, and he hands, and a little while later, he hands me another, like, $10 bill. It's like, oh, we can't do this all night. You got rent to pay. And at one point, I'm... I'm almost ready to go because the strippers here are not friendly. They're not attractive. They're, they're not even offering dances, really. At one point, just to get it out of my hand, I throw the $10 bill up there. And over the music, I hear, no. I see Jermaine on the other side of the stage. And it's funny because Jermaine's a black guy, and he's fairly dark-complected, and it's in a dark club, so I can – barely kind of see him when the light moves over him and stuff and i just i go what he's like "Mm -mm. (laughs) take it back (laughs) what he's like she didn't earn it take it back and i reach up on the stage and i grab that ten dollar bill and put it back in my pocket your man goes they gotta earn it (laughs) (laughs) and so Finally, like, they're closing up. Jermaine is about as drunk as I've ever seen another human. He's got to go piss. And, like, they're they're trying to clear people out as he's going to the bathroom. And as drunk as he is, the bathroom takes a while. And eventually, I tell Luke, you stay here at the bar. I will go get him. And Jermaine's in there, and he's, like, slumped up against the stall next to the urinal, like, half asleep. I'm like, hey, you still got to pee? He's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and he goes to pee and this bouncer comes in who the bouncer said he's tougher than he looks I don't believe him also that doesn't say much this was a 5'6 chubby guy in a in a track suit Ooh. right and when I said chubby, he wasn't some squat kind of beefy motherfucker. Like, he was one of the schlubbiest schlubs I'd ever seen in my life. Had one of those haircuts where it's almost like a flat top, but it's like four inches tall, so he could comb it if he wanted to. And I don't know how people, like, it's a haircut only virgins can have, I'm pretty sure. And eventually, I'm trying to convince Jermaine to not fight this guy. And Jermaine's not being belligerent, but I'm expecting Jermaine to just lose it at any second. And so I'm trying to get them out of there. Jermaine is enamored with the girl at the bar who's bartending. <laughs> Her name is Stretchy Pants, according to him, because she's got on stretchy, stretchy pants. pants. And at one point, 
I don't think he tried to jump over the bar, but he jumped up onto the bar and at least acted like he was reaching for her. So the bar owner got his paddle prod out and flicked it. I was like, and Jermaine's like, okay, we're going, we're going. We go. Jermaine gets outside. He, uh, fuck, I think there were some people over by a van, like, smoking and talking. And I don't know if anyone even said anything, but Jermaine goes, that girl's out here. <laughs> and he's like, and my buddy looks like, what, where? I was like, where are these girls? Because I can see these two guys over by the van. He's like, ah, oh, this girl's out here. And he runs up real excited to them and goes, ah, oh, y'all got penises. <laughs> and so I'm trying to get Jermaine in my car. Luke has tried to put him in a fireman's carry to carry him on this slanted driveway that we're parked in. They fall. Jermaine takes off his Zack Ryder t-shirt that I then hold on to, I think, for the next five years. Ooh. I finally get Jermaine in my car. He's mostly passed out in the back seat. Me and Luke are going home. And it's down this little country road, like state highway. It's not like gravel or anything. but And Luke is super drunk as well, but he's not passed out. And he's like, we're talking about this one guy from, from the camp who this guy told me that he got taken off the show that Saturday because not enough other people were licensed for him to have a match. And, he, and he's telling me this, and he goes, these fucking schmucks. <laughs> and I tell Luke this story, and at one point Luke's in the passenger seat, and he just looks over to me, and he goes, Nick Cutler. <laughs> fucking schmuck. <laughs> just, and then he like, punches my windshield from inside the car. I'm like, what are you doing? Because we're listening to this metal version of Zack Ryder's theme, so we're fucking hyped. And he's just like, boom. <laughs> boom. <laughs> and so we go away, oh and eventually we get pulled over. And the cop says that I changed lanes without signaling, and I was following a car too close. But it's pretty clear, like, the strip club was like, hey, these extremely drunk people left. And I don't think it was maybe abundantly clear that I hadn't had anything to drink. So whatever. We didn't do anything, so I'm not too worried. This very attractive female cop pulls us over, who as soon as she takes our license and stuff, we start to, we start to talk about. <laughs> and Jermaine's like half awake. I don't even think Jermaine's awake, but Luke lets it be known that I'm I'm, I I was not mistaken. I was like, she hot as shit? And Luke's like, I tear her in half. <laughs> <laughs> so another another car shows up, and Jermaine's sitting in the back seat, j passed out with his shirt off. So he's not saying anything. I'm not even sure we bothered to give her his ID. Like, I think that's how out he was. And she's asking me questions, and for some reason... I think I don't have um, an insurance card on me. I think my driver's license, I don't think my driver's license was expired, but it may have been close. And then for some, like, I don't have any proof of ownership of the vehicle with me for some reason, which I know I always have, but it's not there. So, 
she's like, well, hold, hold tight here. Cause you don't have an insurance card. And like, she's like, I believe you got insurance, but you know, I, I might have to write you a ticket for this. Blah, blah, blah. Just show up to the judge, whatever, get a wave. But another car shows up and this is really the, the apex of the story because Jermaine's been asleep this whole time in the back. And this cop shows up, this dude, and he comes up and he shines a light and he's just asking this question. I was like, well, I'm the designated driver. These two have been drinking. And, uh, you know, it was like, we're not doing any, you know, we just left the strip club last day of training. And he shines the flashlight in the back seat and goes, what's your story, sir? And Jermaine's there like this. I'm ready to go. <laughs> and young to young 21-year-old Graham in 2013, this didn't really occur to me, but this is around 2 in the morning on a state highway in Missouri, and Jermaine is a black man looking at this white cop going, I'm ready to go. <laughs> and the cop goes, excuse me. And Jermaine goes, I'm ready to go. He's like, sir, do you want to double think that? Sir, do you want to think twice about that? And Jermaine's like, it takes him a second. He's like, I don't think you want to go. And Jermaine's like, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but I was but as soon, again, he'd been passed out, hadn't said a word this whole time. And I look in the back seat and Jermaine has the dukes up, like old timey boxer to a cop <laughs> saying, I'm ready to go. I'm like, Jermaine, don't fight this cop. Please don't fight this cop, my friend. His his body was in the car, but his mind was still back at the strip club. His mind was fighting a cop, I'm pretty sure. He was back with stretchy pants. <laughs> <laughs> no shit. But eventually, like, they, they pull us out of the car. It's cold. Jermaine, my buddy Luke puts his leather jacket on Jermaine because Jermaine doesn't have a shirt on. No Zack Ryder shirt. Nope. Nope. Right. And we're sitting back there. And Jermaine, all night, all he's drank is Blue Moons with the orange peel in them and everything. And finally, they get us back in. And for some reason, despite, I think I find my insurance card, but despite like, having no proof of ownership, I think one of my taillights was out and all this other stuff. They're just like, you get these guys back to the hotel safely. I was like, yes, officer. No ticket, <laughs> nothing. As soon as I get, as soon as Jermaine gets back in the car, he's slumped over. He's like, I think I'm going to throw up. I was like, Jermaine, open the door. Jermaine, open the door. And he just, just orange, blue moon. And it's not even projectile. It's just dribble down Luke's leather jacket into my car seats. And I've got really no way to clean, clean this out. Cause I'm miles from home. I don't even know where the nearest car wash is. It's, two in the morning so like nothing's open to really i gotta like get paper towels and just get it out the best i can oh. but that was my friend jermaine almost fighting a cop was that's the that's the most i i'd say the perfect cap to that story because we've been talking all week about like the rock and roll expresses again like jermaine was teaching us about tag wrestling you know after training in the hotel and just like talking about the Midnight Express and the Rock and Roll Express and the Fantastics. And we were just talking about just like that lifestyle of wrestlers in the eighties. And Luke on the way home after all that's done and Jermaine's covered in his own vomit and we got off a ticket, Luke goes, 
were just like those tag teams from the 80s. <laughs> I was like, yeah, man, we sure are. <laughs> so that that's that's my that's my go-to road story. Oh, that my. that was epic and the layers of it and especially the tie-in of the Zack Ryder shirt and the Zack Ryder metal music to me, which I now have to go find this Zack Ryder metal. Oh, it's so fucking, entry. it's not like full thrash metal, but it, it's a version of his theme that goes very fucking hard. It was that, it was Dolph Ziggler's music and Cody Rhodes' theme at the time, which was, whoa. <laughs> Amazing. And, and I can attest, having a friend throw up in your car is not a pleasant thing to have to deal with. I was so lucky because what little, it was November, so it didn't sit in like stew and heat or anything. That's and what little stench there was had a vague tinge of citrus to it Ooh, at the lovely. very least. So there's definitely worse vomits that could have been in my car, but... I still got to clean this soon as I can. <laughs> <laughs> well, after that amazing road story, we're at favorites. So we're going to roll through some favorites. I am going to go to the chat first. John Miller, as always, coming through with a few questions. Uh, first question from John is, what's your ranking of four pillars? Okay, so there, there's a personal ranking and then there's like a, a professional how I view them ranking the how I view them in a professional sense from top to bottom Kobashi Misawa Kawada Pawe personally it's Misawa Kawada Kobashi Pawe oh wow um Misawa has long been my favorite Japanese wrestler um there's a guy Joseph Monticilio who uh, he's Joseph Weirdness on Twitter, but he has a video uh, essay series called Walking the King's Road that breaks down the history of King's Road style going back to Tenru and Saruta and them starting that. And then he's got some good ones on uh, Danielson and Nigel's feud from ROH and several other standalone ones. He even did a Makabe uh, Thatcher trilogy essay. Mm. But... Uh, the more I've watched of that, and then the more I've watched it, the more I kind of relate to Kawada. For one, uh, we both use a lot of the kicks. Um, my style's a lot more like his. But, and I'm a big anime fan too. So, And these are the characters I've always really liked because I feel like in an anime, Kawada would almost be the main character because Kawada was there he was in revolution with Tenru. Tenru was the guy, and he was the the protege. And Masawa had the tiger mask thing. He was over his tiger mask, unmasked, becomes the hot new baby. He's on fire. He's like the Cena of that era, even in the, you know, the early 90s. Starts Super Generation Army, and then Kawada is his, his guy, his second. But Kawada is the second. And it, I find out later when he's talking about their first match, they were classmates in high school and stuff, Kawada and Masawa. Hmm. But I don't—I could relate a little bit to Kawada being the guy who had 
been there and put in the work and in a lot of ways embodied the fighting spirit, strong style. And not to just say he sat back and watched Masawa just shoot past him, but Masawa was on a rocket. Masawa was indisputably the number one guy. And it was that way for a while. Kawada was always second him. Kawada was always trying to fight up to Masawa. And I relate to that in a general career sense in a way. Um, and not that me and him are longtime rivals by any stretch, but I equate a little bit to me and Warhorse. Because we split from our tag teams at about the same time. And this was before he was even had the nickname Warhorse. He was still just Jake Parnell. May have still been the littlest Viking on some shows. But we had been in the car a handful of times. We started riding together more, sometimes with the hooligans, sometimes just us, depending on where we were going. And I specifically remember, I think a little bit after he won the 0-1 Junior Heavyweight Championship, um, we were in a car, and this was when he was just starting to build momentum, just got the Warhorse nickname. And I told him I was proud of all this stuff he'd been doing. He said, Graham, you should be on every show I'm on. And I was like, well, I appreciate that, man. And this was before he even started doing his, like, $5 promos and stuff. And it was mm-hmm. just watching him start to get these defenses and watching him rise. And I'm still grinding, and I'm still getting, you know, earning my spots. But I'm always just a little bit behind him. And now the gap's a lot wider. But I see that with him. I see it with other guys that I see. Coming, I just I relate to that struggle of Kawada, because not to fucking self pity myself, but like a little bit of looking like why not me, and then like asking that question sincerely. I know there are things I do need to do different or do more of, but just you know at certain times like I'm good enough to be in that spot. I could I could have done that. I deserve an IWTV title match against you know stuff like that. Um, so I. Masawa is the star, and I think he still holds my top spot personally um, for so many reasons. But at least, like, on a story level, like, I really relate to Kawada and Kawada's struggle and his place and how he saw himself, how the fans saw him, and how he wanted people to see him. I think that's a, a really great underdog story, and it's one of the ma- reasons Kawada went from Maybe even closer to the bottom, but like on a personal level, he's above Kobashi for me, even. It just shows how much story plays a big part of what you look for in wrestling. You know, just the idea of building that and layering that psychology into things. Yeah, and even unintentional stories like that. That's just a way I can relate to Kawada. You know, some people probably just see the pillar that kicks a lot and he's at the bottom of their list, but I love me some Kawada. All right, what else John got? John's also got favorite 90s AJPW matches. That's tough because I don't know a lot of them by day or and a lot of them by heart. There's a – goddamn, I wish I could remember. I watched it with Gnarls Garvin when we did in Michael Elgin camp, I think in 2016, 2017. It was Kawada versus Terry Gordy. I don't know if it was for the belt or not. But me and Garvin knew we were working at the camp the next day. And, you know, Elgin, he's a, he's a fan of that super indie style where a lot of little shit ha- has to get called and 
I watched that and I was like, fuck it, Garvin. We're not doing any of the shit we called. We're going to call a bunch of different shit, but it's all going to be, it's all going to be, I was like, we're going to do all the Japanese tropes. We're going to do a kick at one. We're going to do a big strike exchange. We're going to do corner follows. We're going to do, you hit the ropes and I'm down and you come back. Like, and it was the best match of the camp. It was, uh, to this day, I don't know why no one's booked Garvin against myself on a show because it would blow people's fucking minds. It would have done it back then and it'd do it now to an even higher degree. Um, obviously the six star match, I think it was, I think it's 91 with Kawat. No, it wouldn't be 91. That's too early. Man, 94. It's a Kawat and Masawa match in June, I believe. Like I said, I'm not very good with the dates. Um, a lot better than I would be, man. Whew. <laughs> you're getting a lot closer than I would. I'd be, at least you're in the right, like couple of years. I'd be in the wrong decade entirely. Probably. Um, Hansen versus Vader is good for the spectacle where he fucking pulls Vader's eye out. Um, and all the Hansen stuff in a way is good. Like Hansen in a lot of ways built the pillars because he's the guy, Jen, and they were all young boys when he was on top and he's just kicking the shit out of them. And I, I think in a lot of ways, that's kind of what led to some of the, uh, the Kings road stuff is like, you bring up these other guys to contend with them. And Masala was like, you're not going to knock me down with that. Hanson knocked me down with that, and I got back up. Fuck you. <laughs> um, really, anything with Hanson, because as much as I love matches that are crafted and structured with care, and like a lot of attention is given to the small details, there's also a lot of art in the freedom that Hanson just went out there, and you're just like, I'll larry at you at some point. Maybe we've got to finish. Other than that, man, I hope you can take an ass whooping. We got oh man, John Miller, six three ninety four. There you go, June third, nineteen ninety four. there I got, I got it the second the year right the second time. Yes, six three ninety four. I've good. fallen asleep to that match quite a few times. All right, Vic has got uh, whose wrestling gear do you like? Whose wrestling gear? Hmm, it's weird because my gears changed a lot this past year. Um, I went from trunks to the, the pants I use a lot now. Man, that's tough. Osprey, I think, always has some good look. Like, the Japanese, just in a large sense, have some pretty dope gear. It's not simple, but it's complex in a smart way. Like, it's super busy, but it's not random. It's patterns and designs. I've always enjoyed Okada's color scheme. Osprey always has some slick looking stuff. Um, who out there right now? I like Nolan Edward. I like his vest especially, but I like his, his little butt cape and just the, the texture that his stuff has. I like the stuff that has technical term is the butt cape. Is that, is that... Uh, the butt? I believe he says butt flat, but I had an idea for something that had something similar a long time ago, and I called it a butt cape. So. See gear. I saw a really fucking slick pair of tights recently. I can't remember where, but they were fucking nice. I tell you, those those luchadors uh, from WWA four that have been at action, Takuri and Garuda, they've got some slick looking stuff too. That uh, bright Austin, white Ooh. silver Garuda gear that he wore. Woo. Bro, Blind the somebody. the stuff 
they have in Mexico is goddamn. It's out of this world. But it's it's a little more, I don't know, flashy and like a little more look at me than I tend to like gear to look like. And that's just a personal taste. Like, that's just Lucha Libre anyway. But, um, but it's all very well made and it's all fucking spectacular. So. So you talked about being on the road a whole bunch. A lot of the conversation is revolved around that. You mentioned Love's, the gas station. There's been conversations about the best place to stop when you're on the road. Where are you stopping when you're taking these long road trips? What What are you looking for on that next exit? All right, now that depends a lot on where you are and what your goals are. Again, this goes back to my wrestling mindset. I need the right place for the job. It's not always just the best. <laughs> it's not always going to – I'm not going to bitch just because I'm in an area where there's not a Sheets or a Wawa. Um, for one, Sheets is better than Wawa. I'm sorry, it just is. Um, they have stuffed nachos. Um, generally, if I have my pick, if I'm anywhere in the country and I could place a gas station that I of my choice anywhere, it'd probably be Quick Trip. Quick Trip always has a good variety of energy drinks. They're always two for four, two for four twenty-five, whatever. They've about always got grill items, and they've got the best donuts of any gas station. Uh, probably aside from Casey's, but even like, I like the, the cream filled Bismarck's, which I think theirs are better. Casey's has long johns, which are good, but, um, for sleeping, I generally like truck stops because they're a little brighter than I like, but also you want somewhere that's not a hundred percent deserted because you don't want people fucking with you in your car while you're asleep. Um, I don't really stop at like just gas stations that are closed because a lot of times cops will run you off anyway if they see you parked there when it's just totally closed down. Um, I've never gotten a ticket for it. I've heard Nolan has gotten several tickets for sleeping places he's not supposed to. So I used to, it's been a while. I used to put up his safe sleeps on Twitter. If I slept somewhere that was okay, I'd put it on Twitter and I'd tag him. I'd say, this is a certified safe sleep. <sighs> I like loves and... I prefer Pilot slash Flying J over Loves in a lot of ways. Um, they're the best for bathroom facilities. And even though I rarely take advantage of it, like they've got truck stops have showers and stuff, which can be nice. Mm -hmm. um, they've also usually got a restaurant attached in the vein of like a Subway or McDonald's or something. And again, they're busy enough that you can sleep at them. They're a little brighter, but sometimes I can put up blankets in the windows or something. Um, generally for sleeping, I like Walmarts, Lowe's, Targets, uh, things, big parking lots that have dark corners, but are never away from everything else. Like the Walmart's always going to have some lights on, or it's going to be across the street, like in a shopping center, not somewhere where, a ton of people are going to feel super comfortable just walking up to a car that's parked there and fucking with it. Mm -hmm. So, and then let's see, what are some other good places? Race tracks aren't bad. They've generally got some good stuff. Um, mobile stations can be surprisingly good. Depending on where they're at. There's one just up the road from action. That's actually really good. It's got some snacks. That's always got the bangs flavors that I like. Quick trips and then Casey's, um, especially if, if I can have their breakfast pizza, it's worth the $4 a slice bullshit. Um, I grew up 
on Casey's Pizza too. Again, where I grew up, Seymour, town of eighteen hundred. Um, that that was the best pizza place in town, and generally the best spot for dinner in town was Casey's. Fucking buy ten, rip off the little fucking coupon, and get a free one. People keep talking about this Casey's Pizza. I gotta check it out. Yeah, you do. It's it is one of those weird things. Like people who try it as adults like it, but you don't really get it, I think, unless you grow up on it. The breakfast pizza, though, you should definitely try their breakfast pizza. It's it's fucking it's good no matter what. All right, you said you were frugal. I'm giving you a ten dollar bill. It's one stop. Where are you stopping, and what are you getting? Strip club, throwing it right at her. <laughs> <laughs> and then taking it back because you didn't earn it. Didn't earn it. Well, again, that depends on what I need. Um, <laughs> everything's situational, man. Um, the begin—it's the beginning of a trip. So let's say it's—it's it's the trip home from action. Okay. Ten bucks. see now does this have to be stuff that's actually on my way home from action or could it just be okay then i'd stop at a 7-eleven where they have these energy drinks i forget what they're called it's like a little ah they're fucking new but anyway they had them buy one get one i get four of those which would bring me to about right at five dollars and then I'd probably go, hmm, God, I can't even take into account all the shoplifting that I do. Um, um, man, I think McDonald's with two McDoubles ketchup only is my next stop. And then I don't know. See, I have about $2 left after that. I might get a small fry, but four energy drinks. And then I'm going to say I've already got a jug I can fill up at the gas station in my car for water. That's my go-to. Someone in the chat said stretchy pants needs new clear heels. (laughs) (laughs) She ain't getting them from me. (laughs) All right. So let's get back into wrestling. I mean, as much fun as that is, I want to know about championships. Uh, I got a little tag team foam belt behind me over here. You love tag team wrestling. There's many other championship belts that are out there. You you want the you shot the IWTV title. What what championship is like the one that you love the most? As far as prestige or looks, let's do looks. My. This is weird. My favorite looking championship belt of all time is the, it's, I think it's 2003 to, I think, 2010, maybe even 2009, Raw World title, when it was just the World Tag Team Championship. They got them after SmackDown got the the Smack the WWE Tag Team titles, those, the fucking Eminem tag belts. I don't know. Something about those belts, I just really fucking like. Um... It's just when I saw them on TV, the way they were shaped, the way the straps seemed to like be loose for them, and I don't know. Those, those—that's my favorite belt of all time. 
I've got a big soft spot for the Attitude Era Intercontinental Belt, the oval plate. Yeah. Um, the is that the Backlund belt they call it? I call it the Shawn Michaels <laughs> belt. It's the winged eagle before Austin won it. Uh, the one that Brett and Shawn and Diesel all had. That's my favorite incarnation of the WWE title. You know, I did really grow to love the spinner belt, even after it stopped spinning. <laughs> I'm not fucking. I, I didn't run it. It blew my mind. It blew my mind at one point when I realized, like, I was watching. I was like, they've had this spinner belt on television for ten years now, or something like that. Like, like this is one of the longest running belt designs they've had. (laughs) It was marketable. (laughs) I mean, you're telling me. (laughs) Um, see the uh, the ECW championship that. They brought back, not the big platinum one, but the one, I don't know, I know ECW World Title had a few different belt designs, but I like the one that was that incarnation when they brought it back, had just like the weird kind of clover. And the uh, the original WCW Heavyweight Championship, um, the one that Ron Simmons won and Vader had, those, that was my favorite look in that. And then the big gold belt, of course, I like, the older I get, the more I really like the big gold belt, so. All good ones. And uh, Danny DDT said anything ECW. Mm-hmm. And then Warrior Wrestling uh, has an amazing belt, according to Nick Sage, and Chuck agrees. I do agree. It's pretty it's cool. cool. I like it. They need to get back to me. I, I, I messaged them a little bit ago. I need to follow up with them. I like Warrior. I like, Warrior. I like what they do. And uh, I don't get to wrestle in Chicago as much as I'd like. So, Chuck, you got any favorites? Um, I got two. One is going to be, uh, you talked about metal music and I want to know what you're listening to, whether it be metal or anything else when you're in the car. So that's number one. These days it's mostly podcasts. Um, but when it is music, there are a few standards I like for the road. I like outlaw country for the road. I like. Merle Haggard, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson, Johnny Cash, um, Hank the first, second, and third. Uh, I think Hank the third has a few songs that relate to wrestling real well. I'm also um, a big Jim Croce guy. I could listen to Photographs and Memories all the way through three or four times on a trip. Every song on that is a fucking classic. I'm also really big into uh, pop punk, specific, like from like late 90s, and then when it kind of just turned into like snotty depressive alt rock, like all the way from like some 41 to, I, I still kind of see say anything as pop punk, even though they're really not in a lot of ways. But uh, Say Anything is very easy for me to listen to. A lot of sing-alongable stuff. Uh, Hate Everyone is a fantastic song that I've considered for entrance music several times. When it does come to, like, heavier stuff, like, I'm not a big death metal or, like, what a lot of people just call metal guy. I like ACDC and Guns N' Roses and uh, Aerosmith and Sabbath and Slayer and Megadeth and Metallica. Those are that's that's my 
heavy, that's my rock and my heavy metal. I like the classic stuff. Nice. I like the the broadness of the music. There's a lot when there. I like when it comes to rock and stuff. A lot of that is just the aura and the general vibe and shit. And then when it comes to let's say, like say anything like Jim Croce, it's like the lyrics tell more of a story. And it's funny because it's it's a lot how wrestling can be with the the rock and roll and everything. I I can equate that to guys who are a lot more about aura and presence and just character to where when it comes to like lyric driven music how i see it anyway like you can almost look at lyrics as the moves they're important they can be structured in a way that tells a great story maybe sometimes it lacks some of that aura but then there are times when everything just comes together perfectly yeah second question and it's not really a favorite but i believe at one point in time I saw some tattoo art on a arm, upper arm. Do you have any tattoos? I've got the Mythosaur skull, the symbol of the Mandalorians. Um, I'm a big Star Wars guy. Actually, three of my five tattoos are Star Wars. I've got that guy. I'll see if you can't fucking see here. For a May the 4th promotion, I uh, can even see my X-Wing. Hold on. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I got it. Yeah. Okay. I, I can't believe I ever got flash art, but it was like $20, and it was done in like 30 minutes. And I'll show you one of these days, like, up close. It's done really well, and it hasn't faded, like, at all. And then on the back of that cap, there's no way you can see it right now, but I've got the Jedi Code. Oh, nice. Then this was the first one I got when I was 18, like, four days before I graduated high school. And I, I'd seen lots of people with the spider web that had like the shading and everything. And I wanted something just a little simpler and cleaner. And then Spider-Man's my favorite superhero. So I had him put the Spider-Man spider in there. Mm-hmm. It, it hasn't held up great. I, I want to get this covered eventually. I don't hate it, but I actually, this is the first time I've looked at this in a long time. <laughs> I, I totally forget forgot it was there. I forget it's there sometimes. Like, I haven't touched or really looked at this in forever, even though I fucking see it every goddamn day. <laughs> and then I've got one on my forearm there, which is uh, my favorite author, and this could get me canceled, is H.P. Lovecraft. I acknowledge he was an abhorrent man, but goddamn, he could write some horror fiction. Um, and this is from his uh, most famous short story, Call of Cthulhu, where he introduces Cthulhu, which is a big, just kind of, icon in yeah. cosmic horror and this is the prayer um in his house at relay dead cthulhu waits draining which is this prayer that the cultists in the story chant and they chant it in this made-up language which i have the made-up language tattooed on the arm there oh nice i i intend to actually make this and i'll probably cover this i may even cover this and get it put somewhere else but i intend to make at least this forearm if not this whole arm lovecraft themed Nice. I it was. I don't know where I saw it, but all, all of a sudden, I just saw you move. I was like, "Uh, I think that's uh, I think that's the Mandalorian thing going on." Yeah, normally the elbow sleeve I wear comes up to about here, so it's yep. like half covered half the time. So you can kind of see the top, and even then, when I'm moving and wrestling around, it can be hard to spot sometimes. I know. I said. I said to Chris. I said, uh, "I think he's got a Star Wars tattoo on his arm," and he goes, "Really?" I was like, "Yeah." And then all of a sudden, I was like, yep, he does. 
okay in my book. Bazookas and Star Wars. Boom. Big Star We're Wars good. guy. Have you guys have you guys seen my Boba Fett gear? I that gear? No. I don't no, I don't think so. Oh, we would be we would be talking about that if we yeah. if we if we've seen it. Trying to think. See, I wore the pants against Manders. I wore it in my match against Alan Angels at Action. Oh, okay. the Streets of Rage show. Yeah, that'd been December 2019. So if you go there, I'll I have it there. Okay. Definitely check that out on IWTV. Yeah. Promo code action. Uh yeah. Yeah, so Star Wars is like Chuck's thing. So I knew he would I mean you were just rattling off things and he was just getting more and more excited. I, I literally I'm have a, Star, Wars Star Wars Legos on my desk here, like the little mini ones. You have Legos, a, he has tattoos. The same thing. <laughs> I'm a big Star Wars guy. I, I'm digging Mandalorian a lot. I like the Mandalorian lore. Like even mm-hmm. outside of Boba and Django, even though those are my guys. Um my buddy Zach and me are real excited for the Bad Batch. Um, he knows a lot more about trooper stuff than I do. Um, he's big on the commandos and the super commandos and all that. I'm big on a uh... man. When I was in high school, I read the Darth Bane book, the first oh. one. Yeah, Darth Bane. I I enjoy that a lot. Um, I enjoy a lot of the Legends stuff. I man, I used to go on Wikipedia. And, like, when I was in school and I should be doing work, and I'd just study the article they had on the forms of lightsaber combat and the seven forms and the sub forms. And I was like, oh, I'm such a Gen Show user. That's the strength based <laughs> one. I'm, that's me all the way. I totally use the form of the Crate Dragon. I'd never be a Makashi guy. With the Mandalorian, I love how they, like, brought in a number of different things from the Star Wars universe into that show that like some people, if they didn't watch either other things or didn't even read some things, like they would have never even known that, you know, who, who some of these characters were. I'm so glad they got Tamora Morrison to play Boba Fett. Cause I was just like, man, how perfect would that be? Cause he's a fucking clone. Of course, Jango should play Boba mm-hmm. all these years later. So that that's I'm so glad that worked out and man when uh oh goddamn I can't think of his name now the dude that was in the season premiere of the the season of Mandalorian he does other westerns Oliphant yeah oh yeah Timothy Oliphant when he walked in in the Boba Fett armor I was just like yep yeah and then damn yeah no big big mark out moment for me. And then Pedro Pascal, in his own right, does a fucking incredible job. He does. I love I love the dark saber. I love that they brought yeah, that was... into it. I'm Chris fairly like I have no idea what you guys are really No, I I know what the dark saber is. I watched the Mandalorian. I watched all the Star Wars. I just don't know all the other stuff. Like I know the base fandom stuff. But That's when you right, get in, there's a lot of shit to know. My first year after I graduated high school, and I was having trouble finding work. I'd go up to the public library here in town and I'd apply anywhere I could online. I'd look on like Craigslist for places that were hiring. And then after I got done, like exhausted all my resources, I'd just be like, I don't have anything else to do. don't have internet at the house. I guess I will just look up the entire chronological history of the star Wars universe, starting Mm -hmm. from when life began in the galaxy. (laughs) And that's just like, 
I killed a lot of time on Wikipedia doing nothing. Wikipedia's got good stuff on there, you know. It's good shit. They do. The whole other, I didn't, I didn't whole know other Chewbacca got crushed by a moon in the books. Right? <laughs> you just, Chris's head just went. They're in the fucking Yuzan Bong Wars. Okay, I think I, I think we've geeked out enough on Star Wars for for Christopher right now. No, like this, I mean, like this is a whole other stream. I mean, we, but that's not for tonight. Like our viewers have gone to zero now. <laughs> All right. Oh, and look at that. On, on cue, oh, we get a bot pop ooh, in the, the bot comes in the room. Yeah, <laughs> want to become famous? Talk yes. about Star Wars. Yeah. Um, so as I get rid of this not person in the chat, we want to go. I got to send another text, but I'm listening. <laughs> <laughs> Good timing. It's perfect. So we, we start everything at the beginning. We went through a lot of stories. Uh, before we close things out and ask you one of the most important questions we'll ask tonight, which is not what other Zack Ryder memorabilia did you bring to the strip club, but we want to know if you had the opportunity to go back and talk to yourself when you were 10 years old, what kind of advice would you give 10-year-old Graham Bell? Man, that's tough. Uh, and as, as dumb as it may seem, well, there are a couple. I would um, I'd say don't be afraid to spend money on the things you want. Um, and that includes Yu-Gi-Oh cards. Um, brush up on the meta, the, the meta of the game. And uh, maybe some, some general workout advice, as weird as that is. You're going to need this in seven years. Here it is. Because I'm, a bit, I'm not a big fate or destiny guy. I really like my life. I just got engaged last week on my birthday. Um, Congratulations. I met her through working small promotions in Oklahoma that I probably never would have worked if I had gone to Harley Race's school. If I had been good enough to get signed three years in, I probably never would have met her or never would have heard from her after I initially met her. Because after we met, it was several years before we ever started talking. If I'd gotten signed in the early stages of our relationship when we weren't very serious yet, I wouldn't have her now. I wouldn't have my stepkids. So it's weird to say give advice because it kind of inherently implies what would you avoid to change to put yourself in a better situation? And there are things I could do for my career that would maybe have me in a better place there but and like this may sound weird considering how we talked about how easy it is for me to be on the road and stuff but and just the way a lot of people look at the business and look at stuff I put my family before wrestling if I had to choose if some supernatural force made me blink one out of existence from my life I'd pick wrestling in a heartbeat to be gone if it meant like keeping them. I'm lucky enough to do both. I'm lucky enough to have someone who 
doesn't like wrestling, whose previous relationships were strained and ruined because of the way their partner prioritized wrestling, and to have someone who's been through that and still supports me and still tells me she's proud of me and drives me to the airport when I'm going to Japan or Mexico, and when I question if I'm a big fucking failure because I'm 10 years in and there got and I don't have the opportunities I'd like or I don't know how to get them or I haven't done what I need to do tells me reminds me of how far I've come so like I said the advice kind of implies what would you change in a sense and I wouldn't really change anything because it's it's put me where I am now and I like where I am now and if changing something to advance my career means I never meet her or we're not as good as we are or I don't get my girls, then I, I wouldn't change that. Fuck that. Her, her yeah. above wrestling every time. And eventually I'm going to get to the point where I can use wrestling to support them. But they're always going to come first. And people will shit on that and say the business has to come first and you don't love the business if you're putting like fuck that. Just because I love my family more than wrestling doesn't mean you love wrestling more than me. That just means you haven't found that thing yet, or if you even can. Because there are people who are super toxic about that kind of shit. And that's cool if you want to give up relationships, you know, for your career. And like I said, if it was early on, maybe I would have if I had a chance to tour Japan when we were, you know, a month into dating. And we're in love yet, you know, like she probably is not crazy about those air quotes. I think I misused those, but, <laughs> but you get what, you get what I'm saying. Just, just cause I have a priority above wrestling doesn't mean that I still don't prioritize wrestling more than other people who it's their number one priority. Cause I've seen people with top priorities that are still a lot lower than some of my low priorities. So Yeah, workout advice, I guess, for 10-year-old Graham. Yeah. No, <laughs> Start doing make, her, squats now. make her earn it. Yeah, make her <laughs> earn it. Oh, man. Well, Graham, we appreciate you coming on with us tonight. We've, I, we've touched on, like, everything. We've been, been up. We've been down. We've been sideways. We've been in strip clubs. We've been in the Ozarks. Uh, uh, case in point, galaxy is far, far away. Exactly. A big case in point. Don't go to the Ozarks in the middle of winter when it's the off season and go to one of the seedy, crappy strip clubs on a Thursday night. You or at least see... don't try to fight a cop if you do. Yes. Don't, don't be ready to go. So now we have a fight going on right now. It's not between a cop and someone passed out in the back of a car. It's the fight. Between Oreo cookies. And we need to know which side of the Oreo you land on. Is it going to be the original single stuffed Oreo cookies or the double stuffed Oreo? Where do you like lie? Most, like most situations, there are variables here. Most of the Oreo specialty flavors are single layered. True. The peanut butter pies, the, the lemons, the, the peanut butter cup flavor are single. Importantly to me, because my woman can't have gluten and loves Oreos, the gluten-free Oreos are single fill. 
However, if we're comparing original filling to original filling, it's double stuffed every time because why the fuck wouldn't it be? I don't think they're any more expensive than regular Oreos. Are they? There's no one else in this room I'm looking inside the side in, but I'm looking for confirmation. Same price. Yeah. And you get just as many, I'm sure. Well, you get less cookies. More cream. But yeah. How how many? You know, that's an excellent question and yeah, a, and right? a conversation yeah, that we've had on this on this stream where it's there's been this argument exactly of if right. I'm given a case of cookies, there is actually more cookies in a regular stuffed Oreo case than well, I need to know double. How many in a regular and how many in a, in a stuffed? I, I honestly think this is the next stream. We just get a sleeve, a a a, a, a thing of single, a, a thing of double, and we but, do the comparison. But I'm I don't buy the as soon as we get off this call anyway. So. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> But I don't buy the regular size one when I get the double stuff. I buy the family size. Yeah. Which, well, then you have but, to compare that to the family size thing stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's not fucking rocket science. But if you just had one cookie. Double stuff. Every day. Yeah. That's the answer. And that's the question. Only crazy people with, with that pose to them would choose a single stuff. Only crazy people. Some sort of weird fucking diet where you can have Oreos, but not the double stuffed Oreos. You do make a good point about the flavored ones, though. They do need to. They do need to put the flavored ones in the double stuff. Agree. I think peanut butter and jelly would be a great double stuffed Oreo. It lines up perfectly. You can just take the two single stuffed and peanut butter on one side, jelly on the other, and. Exactly. I'm real fucking smart. Look at this. You'd think Marketable. I could make content with a brain like this. <laughs> but goddamn, I hate setting up a camera. <laughs> I don't know how fucking Warhorse does it. <laughs> Holds the camera out. But uh, anyway, Graham, thank you. Uh, this has been a blast. Uh, I, I appreciate all the time you dedicated yes. to doing this tonight and, and giving us the great stories, giving us the great content. Um, We've already gone over what you got coming up. I'm not going to ask you to say it all again, but where can people go find you on social media? Where can people go follow Graham Bell? On Facebook, I'm Graham Bell. I won't be hard to find. I'm the dude coming through the entranceway in Japan with my trench coat, my scarf, and I think my Boba Fett gear. Yeah, I debuted that in Japan, actually. So, um, Instagram, I'm Instagram5580. And then Twitter, I am at Merc with a main. Again, pretty easy to find. I'm the only profile picture with a bazooka, probably. Literally just came up on the chat as you said it. No <laughs> hands, folks. No yeah. hands. <laughs> Magic. Awesome, Graham. Uh, really appreciate it. Uh, go check out all of Graham's matches on IWTV, obviously. Um, go check out Action Wrestling, obviously. See what's going on on Have Fun, Be Sad going on in Tampa. You never know who's going to pop up there. All the other great IWTV shows coming up next week. Uh, go check us out, obviously, on all the social media. Go check out our comic collab. We got a new one coming out, issue number three, coming out on Friday. And that person is going to be revealed on Friday. You can't find out yet. That is classified information. That's your line, I know. 
Um, I thought it was me for a second. <laughs> like, shit. <laughs> Appreciate everybody hanging out in the chat. Val, thanks for the raid. Vic, thanks for hanging out. John, thanks for the questions. Thanks, Val. Uh, on Twitter. I like her. She's cool. Val is awesome. Yeah. Uh, Val will be out and about in Tampa. So if you're in Tampa, go say hi to Val. She'll have her camera on her. Go talk to her. She'll be doing live streams, hopefully, as she's walking around watching some great independent wrestling. But until then, we'll catch you guys later. Enjoy everything. Graham, have a great night. Let's go to the QT. Go grab something for like four bucks and swipe the rest of them. Corporations. <laughs> Later. Visit IWTV.live today to watch these great action wrestling events plus numerous other archive shows from Action and other great independent promotions. Use code ACTION for a free five day trial. Don't miss out. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The Bald Monkeys. Watch us live on our new Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash The Bald Monkeys.